We continue our study of the, of the Gospel of Luke this morning, and, and Jesus, he just does the most unexpected things. In fact, today, we're going to see Jesus offend people because Jesus just flat has bad table manners. You may be sitting by somebody right now you want to punch that has bad table manners. There was a, a survey done a few years ago by Town & Country Magazine about what was the worst table manners. They came up with the top five. Number one was double dipping. Amen. You want to say amen? I do not want your spit on my game day dip, okay, please. And if you're going to dip the spoon and, and lick it and put it back in, I might as well go ahead and kiss you. So just please leave that alone. Swindle reminded me this morning after first service that one of the worst things we do, I've never even thought about, is eating birthday cake after someone has spit over to blow the candles out. So hope that doesn't mess your birthday up. That was number one. Number two was touching all the food. Don't you hate it when that kid comes to your house and just has to touch it all? Number three was eating the best part of the dish before passing it. In other words, if it's, it's a, you know, Green bean casserole, you take all the nice fried onions off the top. Or if it's a pasta, you're picking the best shrimp for where anybody else can get them. Number four, and this one's offensive, is chewing with your mouth wide open. One thing I was really thankful that did not make the survey was chewing ice. That is a scriptural practice. (laughs) Number five, and when you see this in our picture up here, we've all talked about this a lot lately, is just talking on the cell phone. You know, you just, you can't have a good conversation because it's always interrupted. Now, here's what I want you to know this morning. Those look pretty bad, but Jesus' table manners were much worse because Jesus' bad table manners don't have to do with food. Jesus' table manners have to do with religion. And and we've all been told there's two things you don't bring up with people. What is it? Religion and what else? politics. Well, Jesus didn't talk much about politics, but he talked an awful lot about religion. So we're going to Luke chapter 14 this morning, and Jesus is just going to royally tick off some religious people. It's a crazy good story. Luke chapter 14. It's one Sabbath. He's in, when Jesus was to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, Sabbath day was sort of like our Sundays. That was a great day to have people over for a meal. And so this prominent Pharisee decides to have Jesus over, but his motives aren't really very good. He's carefully watching Jesus because Jesus always gets in trouble with the church cops on the Sabbath, right? And so he's watching Jesus very closely. The word there actually means to lie in wait. He's ready to pounce on Jesus. And then we got more problems. Verse 2, there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body. Andy did a great job a few weeks ago telling us what dropsy was like. And this guy has this swelling. He's got this physical problem. Now, we've got a really bad combination. It's the Sabbath day. We've got a guy that's physically impaired, and we've got Jesus at the table. And so he knows what they're all thinking. He knows, honestly, this is a setup. And so before they even say a word, Jesus begins to put them in their place. Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Pretty tough question. I mean, you're all uptight about these Sabbath laws. Can we heal? Is that a good idea? You can put that off. But they remained silent. 
And I love this. So taking hold of the man, he healed him, and he sent him on his way. And then he asked if they didn't get it already. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Man, this is spiritual checkmate. And again, they can say nothing. I'm just saying, come on, guys, give me a break here. If your child was in trouble physically and you had to rescue him, you wouldn't think you were violating the Sabbath laws there. Or if you had some donkey in the well, you would, you would get that donkey out. Notice he did not say you'd get a cat out, all right? You just, you just, I'm sorry, guys, I really don't dislike cats. I just love playing with y'all about cats. Okay, and he's saying, you know, guys, you would do that. And now here's a man who's sick, and you're here to catch me because I'm healing him. And then he becomes even more offensive. He's got him there, and he's noticed that they're always jockeying for position. They're always trying to, to get the best seats in the house. And prove how powerful they are. So Jesus comes after that. Verse 7. We notice how the guest uh, picked the places of honor at the table. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated you have to take the least important place. But here's what you ought to do, guys. When you're invited, take the lowest place. So when the host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And here's what Jesus is trying to get to these proud religious people. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, if that wasn't offensive enough, now he comes at them about something else. He noticed they love to be in the in crowd and just to be around the cool people. And so Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what's Jesus doing here? Now, I always want to call time out on these Sabbath day stories and go, Jesus, if you had a good PR man, he would save you from this business. Someone would just take you to the side and say, okay, Jesus, you're going to get in trouble. People are going to hate you. You're not going to make friends and influence people this way. Why don't you just wait to the next day to heal people. And then you have no flack. But Jesus, it seems to me, just purposely throws himself in the middle of this controversy. Now, why would he do that? I'm telling you, he did it for you and me. Let me give you four things he's going to give you freedom from because of what he does in these kind of stories. Number one is freedom from religious legalism. Now, what is legalism? We hear that, that term thrown around a lot. Legalism is trying to earn your salvation by being good enough to deserve it, okay? Legalism is if, is if I can keep the law perfectly, then I am okay with God. It, it, you might put it this way. I am right with God because I'm right. I theologically understand everything perfectly. Behavior-wise, I'm doing things right. And because of that, I am right with God. 
That's what happened with these Pharisees. Their motives didn't start off bad. These were the people that were most intense about keeping the law of God. And so there was a command about the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't work on the Sabbath day. And so that, that's, that's the command of God. So these guys are so intense about it, they decide to make sure, so they put some fences around the law because they don't want to even get close to it. So they come up with these fences like, you know, if you tie a knot, you can only do a simple knot on the Sabbath. Um, if someone's sick, you can't heal them on the Sabbath because we don't even want to get close to violating the Sabbath. Now, for most of us, fences are wise. We all have certain areas of our life that are tempting, and we need to draw some fences. Here's the problem. The problem is when your fence becomes equal to the law of God. When I'm not just trying to enforce what God said, I have made my fence as important as God. And we see that done on all kinds of issues still today. And Jesus says, this is legalism, and we've got to get past this. And so by the time we get to Luke chapter 14, guess what? Seven times Jesus has already violated the Sabbath traditions. Many of us understand these words. Our traditions become law. What seemed to be a good way of doing things has now been elevated as the only way of doing things. Now, why does Jesus fight legalism? Because legalism puts rules over the suffering of people. And it doesn't reflect the heart of God. They don't care about this man with dropsy. He's just a pawn in their debate about who's right and who's wrong. And many of us have grown up in those kind of issues where someone and their background or what they did becomes an issue more than a compassionate person. Because with Jesus, relationship always trumps religion. And love wins over law. Now, Apostle Paul made this clear in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, listen to me, guys. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves so that no one can boast. You see, legalism makes me boast because it's what I've accomplished. And Paul says, God, oh, no, guys. You're not going to be saved because you get it all right. You're going to be saved because of the grace of God. What's my connection? I put faith in what Jesus has done. So Jesus came to get us freedom from legalism. Now, second, he gave us freedom from religious pride. Now understand this. If, if me being right with God is because of what I do, the next step is really easy. I become proud of myself. Legalism always breeds pride. It's prideful people who decide, you know what, we got it so together, we are the only ones that are pleasing God. And so that's what happens with legalism you begin to actually think that you're better than other people. And it leads to this religious arrogance. Now, Jesus is pretty tough on this. Uh, Luke chapter 18, you remember that story? There are two guys who go to the temple to pray. One's a, a tax collector, the chief of sinners. The other is a self-righteous Pharisee. And the Pharisee begins to pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm better than this guy. I thank you, Lord. You know I go to church all the time. You know I give this way. You know I serve this way. You know I'm on this committee, Lord. You know how good I am. And uh, Lord, thank you for how good I am. And, and then the Pharisee, <clears throat> the tax collector, simply bows his head, beats his chest, and prays a simple, humble prayer. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm just a sinner. 
Who went home justified? Jesus said it wasn't the proud religious guy. It was the humble Pharisee. You see, the, the problem is, is that we begin to think we're better, and it comes across in the way we treat people. And Jesus says, when you understand the grace of God, and the only reason you're anything is because what Jesus did for you, you can't be proud. And then the next point is Jesus wants us to have freedom from religious hypocrisy. Now, let's keep, keep walking down this. You see, if I believe the only way I can be saved is me getting everything right, and then I face the fact that I don't understand the Bible perfectly, I don't always behave right, but my salvation's based on this, it easily leads to hypocrisy. Because I can't let it be known I don't have it right. And so what I decide to do is pick and choose the commands I'm good at and make them big and avoid the other commands. And so I become a hypocrite. Now, what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is the the, the literal meaning in the Greek is to, to be a play actor. You begin to know how to act at church and act differently at work. You begin to, to put on a religious pretense so that people think you're okay. You, let me tell you this. In churches that are full of legalism, you don't see open confession on the front row because you can't admit you've got problems. And so Jesus is saying to these guys, man, you guys are so hypocritical. Think how hypocritical they are. They are so bad that they're willing to use this sick man to prop up their position in power. You see, this, this whole debate here is a power play. They're trying to put Jesus in his place. That's pretty bad. I don't know if you've heard of Desmond Tutu, but he was a bishop in South Africa through all their civil rights mo- movement and when they, they finally overturned apartheid. And he said this. I read this quote the other day. It was so powerful to me. He said this. When the Christian missionaries came to Africa... They had the Bible, and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible, and they had the land. In other words, religion was used to simply get what we wanted. And that's what's happening with these people. They, they are simply wanting to get what they want, even if it means abusing this man. Time Magazine did a survey of college students recently where they asked, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Christians? And I am petrified by their answer. Average college student says, Christians are people who don't practice what they preach. It does so much damage. And then the the last thing here is that Jesus in this story is battling religious freedom, religious boredom, excuse me. He's given us freedom from religious boredom. I mean, as we continue to read this story, he's already began it, but what he's doing is he's, he's comparing the kingdom of God to a feast. In, in our terminology, we'd say he's comparing the kingdom of God to a party, God bless us, to a party. Now, even when we say party, I don't think we get it. When these guys had feasts, like you give a wedding feast, and that's a lot of the stories Jesus gives about wedding feasts and the the great banquet at the end of time. When you gave a wedding feast and people traveled for days, they stayed for days. It was an unending party. We don't give parties like that. And Jesus, I love this. Our Lord is saying, you know what it's like to be in the kingdom of God? Eventually, we're all going to get to what the Bible calls over is the great party. 
But remember, our goal here in life is to bring heaven to earth. So the party doesn't just start in heaven. The party starts now. And, and so Jesus is saying, when you think about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God on this earth, what we think about is people that are full of joy. And yet, so many believers are just bored stiff. And sometimes we even teach it that way. Even about a church service like this. I know people who believe that the more boring the church service, the more scriptural the service. I mean, if, if we go and everybody's quiet and behaves and nobody lifts their hands and nobody claps and all those crazy things, then that's scriptural. My friend, I, I think that is so wrong, I don't know even how to put it. If we believe that our God is this good, that he's come to, to free us from all the shackles of religion, to give us a relationship, then I'm telling you, it's more scriptural to be excited than to be bored. Amen? That's not what he wants for us. I love the preacher George Whitfield. He was a famous British preacher, led lots and lots of people to Jesus. But he, he, he was very criticized because he was so demonstrative in his preaching, so bold, so excited. And most preachers in that day were pretty much just tied to their script and very low-key. And Whitfield was so different, and sinners were flocking. But the religious people felt like they could criticize him because he used to be an actor before he became a preacher. And so they're just saying, he's not a real sound preacher. He's just an actor on stage. And Whitfield said this, As an actor, I talked about things that were fake as if they were real. Too many preachers talk about things that are real as if they are fake. That's pretty good, isn't it? Guys, if we believe what Jesus has done for us, and if we believe this is real, I'm telling you, as your preacher, I better stay excited. And I'm telling you guys lately, I'm just going to confess this, I am more excited about Jesus than I've been in a long, long time. And I hope you notice it in my preaching. But here's what I want to challenge is this doesn't just apply to me, this applies to you. And this applies to the way you react to the gospel of God. It applies to the way you come in this assembly and worship. And if you come in here like a knot on a log, and you're not expressing, and we all express ourselves differently, I'm not trying to push it. If you come in here like nothing great has happened, I'm telling you, that's not right. We're, we're here for an incredible party and celebration of everything that God has done. So I will promise you, I'm going to up my game if you guys would up your game. And when people come in this place next week for friend day, what do they experience? I'm telling you, if they look across the aisle and you look bored stiff, and you're not even really participating, you're just watching. Here you go, they're not serious about this. I mean, I could stay home on Sunday morning and be bored. I don't have to go to church to be bored. So I challenge you. I love young man that's been visiting us lately. He showed up two, two months ago. He's a fireman. Met him in the lobby. And first thing, I said, man, so glad to have you. What brought you to Landmark? He said, I just need to experience something different in my faith. And so a few weeks ago, you were probably in this assembly when we had a baptism. And like you guys always do, is you stood up and you gave a standing ovation. Amen. You gave a standing ovation, so he met me in the lobby, and he said, oh, my goodness, I have never seen a standing ovation in a baptism. In fact, in my church, when I was a teenager growing up, I started clapping at a baptism, and I was called into meeting with the elders. Because you don't clap 
Because that's not scriptural. Well, guess what? Saying amen, sitting on your pew, having air conditioning. We don't have anything about that, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't believe for a moment that it's more scriptural to sit there when someone's being born again and new, like nothing happened. That's more scriptural than us rejoicing? No way. Come on, somebody. Let's, let's get, just get fired up about this thing, all right? And guys, Jesus came to free us from that kind of thinking that keeps you guilty and keeps you bored. And guys, let's just be honest here while we're talking about this. This is what keeps people away from church. This is the impression they have of us. And it's going downhill. In 1996, 85% of people that weren't believers had a positive impression of Christians. Today, that number has dropped to 16%. We have an image problem because they think we are legalistic. And they think we do think we're better than people. And they think that we are hypocrites. And they think they don't want to be a part of what we're doing because they'd be bored stiff. And so what we've got to be is we've got to be the people who instead of judgment give love, instead of pride display humility, we do so much damage to ourselves in that realm. Instead of fake hypocrisy, we have authenticity. Instead of boredom, they see joy. So guys, I want to challenge you about what you do in here. I, I got to share with you one of my favorite lines I've ever said as a preacher. I'm sort of proud of this line. Bad, bad, I'm preaching on pride to say that. But when I was preaching for the church in Pensacola Gateway, we, I was doing the same thing I've been doing you guys the last couple of weeks, is trying to encourage some of you to move, move up, okay? And thank you for those of you who have. And so I was, I was fighting a losing battle. Someone told me this morning, buddy, you're fighting a losing battle. I'm not giving up, okay? But nobody was moving forward. So one Sunday I got dressed in service, and this is what I said. I said, guys... The early church was so fired up about Jesus, they went into all the world. We'd be downright thrilled if you guys would move up a couple peas. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing progress. As I'm asking you this morning, when people show up here next Sunday, is it going to be more like a funeral or more like a party? It's a huge difference. Let's keep reading about that. Luke chapter 14, let's keep. Let's go back to verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, Jesus being so rude, he said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. I think the tension in this room is so tight, this guy's just trying to interrupt the tension and change the subject. Jesus is not willing to back down. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything's now ready. Now, you, you, you catch this subtly in this passage, but what's going on here is in that day when you were given a big party, you would send out an original invitation and people would RSVP. And you'd say, Saturday night or Saturday, we're going to have a party. And we'd love you coming. So they, these guys that we see make these excuses, they've already said yes. And then what would happen is when you got it ready, you'd send your messengers out to go, the party starts at 5 o'clock, and then everybody come. And so don't, don't feel like these guys have got legitimate excuses. In fact, I love the, the old African-American preacher, Marshall Keeble. He used to say, an excuse is nothing but a, a dressed-up lie. And so listen, listen to what happens. The second invitation has gone out. But they all, verse 18, alike, begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, 
and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Because all those things, they'd been cleared up. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly in the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know the theme of the Gospel of Luke, don't you? Outsiders become insiders, and insiders become outsiders. Jesus says, the very people you snobs would not invite to your party, that's who I want invited. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house, you know, being very, very angry. So again, go out in the house. Then verse 22, serve the servant said, what you, order, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. This is, this is a great verse of the chapter. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And if Jesus had not offended the Pharisees enough, he throws in one more line. I tell you, not one of those who was invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here's what I want you to understand as you leave here today. Jesus was offensive, so we can be on the offensive. We have a culture today where the church and Christianity has been put completely on the defensive. And guys, what we've got to do is we've got to be bold enough to get back out on the offensive. We can't just huddle ourselves in our little church buildings and say, we don't want to be touched by the, the contagion of the world. No, we want, to, we want to go bring heaven to earth in every corner of our land. So how do we do that according to this parable? Let me give you some points here. Number one, invite to the party. Invite to a party. Listen to me, guys. It will change the way you invite people to church this week if you believe what we're experiencing is a celebration and party. You see, sometimes I'm like, okay, man, I, I, I want to invite you to church, and I, I'd like you to come on this special day Sunday. I, I know you're probably busy and you probably can't come, but my preacher told me I need to invite you, so it'd be a cool thing. And you, you might like it, you might not, but just, just come. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? No, no, no. Now, some of us act like we're inviting people to a stinking Tupperware party. <laughs> what do you do at a Tupperware party? Ooh, my lid is tighter than your lid. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I know some of you probably put your kid through college with Tupperware. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying, it's because we're not inviting people to a Tupperware party. We're inviting people to an amazing party. And so when I invite somebody, man, I've got to be full of enthusiasm. Man, man, I want you to come be with me next Sunday. Man, you're going to meet some great people who love Jesus. There's going to be a fire there. Man, you, there's going to be great worship, incredible preaching. I mean, you're, you're just going to, you, you're going to have, sorry about that. You're going to have just a great time. In fact, if, if you don't like it, you don't ever have to. This is the Tim Lee line. If you don't like it, you never have to come back. Just try it, man. And, and, and so it changes the way we invite. Now, number two, we invite despite rejection. There are lots of people that aren't going to come that you invite. There are a lot of people that are going to make excuses. In fact, what I heard young and what I've found to be true is you've got to invite 10 people to get one person to come. So you've got to get out there and, you know, don't, don't, get, don't get discouraged. 
A dear sister of mine was sharing with me this week, man. She's so fired up about her life group, and she's been inviting some of you guys over and over again, and you keep turning her down. She's like, buddy, I just don't know. I said, man, don't give up. Here's what I've experienced. Sometimes I invite a ton of people, and none of them come, and then all of a sudden, it's like this week, I got two new couples coming to my life group tonight. You, you just don't know. So, so you keep inviting even despite the rejection. And number three, here's what Jesus is really saying, is invite the unexpected. The, the, the point here Jesus is making literally is, okay, you snooty Pharisees, you think you're the only ones going to the party. You're not even going. But it's the folks you think don't belong there that are coming. And so, man, go invite the people you're close to. But on the other hand, man, go out to people that, that you wouldn't expect to come to church. The person who says, man, buddy, if I come to church, the ceiling's falling down. Just assure them we've got a good ceiling. I mean, just come. It's going to be okay. I mean, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, I mean, think about the people that we've seen who are unexpected, who follow Jesus Christ. We've seen tax collectors and Samaritans and a rough-and-tumble outdoor guy named John the Baptist and a prostitute in Luke chapter 7. None of those guys would have made what we used to call a prospect list. But they came. Number four, invite until his house is full. Don't stop. Just keep inviting. Now, here, here's what I have to do. And you, you may not be this way, but, but when it comes to a day like friend day, either I'm inviting everybody I see, or honestly, I probably invite nobody. And so I started this Friday with a commitment to invite everybody. I got a buddy with me from Kentucky, I want to introduce you to him, Joey Creekbaum, who... Um, He's been with me, and he's, he's so fired up about Jesus. I met him in a retreat in Tennessee last spring, and, man, first night I met him, man, he's talking about the people he's reaching for Jesus. A couple weeks ago, he's texting me, pray for me. I'm sharing the gospel with my brother. At his graduation, he knew his whole family was going to be there. None of them are Christians. And so at his graduation party, he was so excited because he got up to stand in front of his whole family and share the gospel. And so he's texting me Thursday night about coming to spend the weekend. And I get a text I've never received from anybody else. Buddy, my prayer is this weekend we get to share the gospel with somebody. I don't know about you. I don't even think that way. And so Friday night, we're going out, man. We're going to all these different places. We invited five people. I've never had this happen. Five people. Gym, restaurant, Walmart, drugs. Five people. And God, I've never had this happen. Every one of them told me they'd come. It was just like, whoa, it can happen. And some of them were those people having to overcome the religious background that said, you know, I don't go to church anymore because I've experienced that stuff. See, the key word in this passage to me is the word compel. Now, that doesn't mean you force somebody. You can't do that. But it means, as the Bible would say, is that you, you urge someone, you persuade someone, you come at them knowing what's on the line. You're there to compel them. My goodness, my friends, if you had a cure for cancer, and you know someone with cancer, and they, 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 weren't, they were doubting you, man, you, you'd get urgent about it. We got something so much better than a cure for cancer. And so we become urgent, so... As our four-year words say, here's, here's our chance these next seven days, guys, is to go after one more and to play big. 
You see, playing big is not about necessarily being on this stage. Playing big is about what you're going to do out there where you have an opportunity for God to use you to change someone's eternal destiny. So let me give you a couple friend day encouragements. Number one, I hope you can say today, I will invite the following, my friends, my family, co-workers, classmates. You know, the, those are the people most likely, often, is someone you already have invested in have a relationship. But in obedience to the parables that we study today, I'm also going to invite the unexpected. Who do you know that nobody probably would expect to go to church? Where do you go that they probably aren't expecting you to pull out one of these cards and invite them? And then the last thing we need to do this morning is prepare for next Sunday. Guys, we're about to have a lot of guests in here next Sunday. I really believe that. But before you have guests over to your house, don't you get your house ready? How you prepare for guests? You get your house in order. And today, before we launch out on this mission, I want to ask, is our house in order? And here's the statement I want to ask you if you can make in good conscience. Here's the statement. I am enjoying the party. Say that out loud with me. I am enjoying. You guys are not convincing. Let's do it again. I am enjoying the party. Man, we got some good folks back there. Amen. I'm enjoying the party. And guys, again, I'm, I'm saying this because I don't always enjoy the party. Often some of these things we've mentioned, legalism and pride and hypocrisy and just my own boredom, makes it not feel like a party to me. And, and maybe that's been your experience. Um, you, you've grown up in a very religious culture that often was like these Pharisees. And it's kept you from going, you know what? If I don't perform perfectly this week, I'm still okay. That's why we had the Lord's Supper today. And so I'm asking, are you enjoying the party? Maybe life's been tough. Maybe Satan's thrown so many trials at you and so many temptations at you that you're just worn down. Maybe you're full of excuses. I tried that before. I'm not that spiritual. They're better than me. And and today I'm just begging you to, to let go of the excuses and to believe that these stories are Jesus didn't offend everybody and get himself in trouble for no reason. Not for you to walk through life guilty and bored. He did it so you could enjoy the party. Jesus was offensive. So offensive they killed him. You recognize that? This led to the cross. He was that offensive so that you could enjoy the party and you can invite somebody to the party. And so if we need to do some housework today, if we need to get some things straightened out, if you need the prayers of this church to regain your joy, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, there can be no judgment on this front row. You come and we'll pray for you before you leave. Let's stand together and sing.